Welcome to the Wellbeing Rebellion, the podcast that's changing workplace cultures for good. We're your hosts, Ngazi Wella and Obehi Alafoje. Let's get this rebellion started. It has been a really difficult few years, hasn't it? It's been one thing after another. We've had Brexit. Even though people don't want to talk about that. Yep. We've had the pandemic. We've had the cost of living crisis here and around the world, it seems. There are cultural and political clashes left, right and centre. And all of these have increased the challenges that our business leaders are facing when it comes to trying to maximise the performance and productivity of their teams. It's been a real test for all organisations, all businesses, all industries and all leaders of varying skills and levels, navigating through the pandemic, persistently managing supply chain disruptions, grappling with escalating talent attrition in the job market. All these things have presented extraordinary ordeals for business leaders. So the need for building high-performing teams to be able to weather these storms has never been as critical as it is in today's dynamic and ever-changing environment. Yet forging a high-performing team goes beyond merely assembling a talented group of individuals with the right skills. It makes me think of the difference between um, Marvel superheroes and the other kind that we don't really talk about. What other kind? Superman versus oh, um, Marvel. Warner Brothers. No, not Warner Brothers. <laughs> Who is it? You're the one with the... Oh, DC. DC. Yeah. <laughs> There's thinking, a difference. Where are going with this? There is DC a difference, comic. isn't there? Yes, There's there a is, difference yeah. between the Marvel... And the DC comic. And the DC For those leads. DC comics, do not come for us. But we are Marvel people. Listen, I'm fans of them all. I'm yeah. fans of them all. But <laughs> the Marvel Superhero Leagues work as a team. The DC is a group of individuals with excellent expertise and skills. But they're not a team. And you can see the difference. So... The, the challenge is, how do you build high-performing teams? You don't always have to recruit new people. You can work with what you've got if you want to create a high-performing team. You just have to know how to unlock that high-performance within your existing talent pool. And you can do this through implementing key strategies, and having a focused approach. So in this episode of The Wellbeing Rebellion, we're going to explore how you can achieve this in your organisation. And that's especially if you work for an organisation with fewer than a thousand people. So we're talking to you, our beloved SME listeners. So join us this week and figure out how you can be more Marvel and less DC. <laughs> so we're going to be talking about high-performing teams. 
And the first thing we've got to do is figure out what that definition of high performing is. What is a high performing team? The one that we like is that a high performance team is a group of people with specific roles and complementary talents and skills aligned and committed to a common purpose who consistently show high levels of collaboration and innovation to produce superior results. There's some key words that I really like there. Specific, the roles, everybody knows what they have been brought onto the team to do. Complementary, they work well together. Aligned, they're all on the same page. And committed to a common purpose. They all believe in this shared goal. It does sound idealistic, right? Because it relies on all these different individuals coming together to work successfully to produce the results. But if you can do that, if you can make them do that, the benefits are multiple. Uh, some of the ones that we've seen in organizations that we've worked with are things like increased productivity. Yeah. Yeah. You can turn a group of individuals who are working okay together into your Marvel A team, and you end up with a more efficient and productive work team who are able to achieve goals and tasks in a shorter time frame because they are aligned and collaborated and coordinated. I don't know if collaborated is a word. Collaboration. Collaboration. Mm, collaborating. Yeah. But anyway, you know what I meant. That's one of them. Increased productivity. And frankly, in this economy, productivity is the difference between success and failure. It's the difference between having a paycheck for the next six months and not. So this should be reason enough to encourage your leaders to want to focus on how they can build a team rather than a group. Yeah. But if it's not, teamwork and high performance in that teamwork can also lead to improved innovation and creativity. It helps to foster a culture of open communication and diverse perspectives. That's the great thing about the Marvel. I'm going to use them as my well, superhero. Really yeah, them. and I'm not even a Marvel my... fan, but it just does strike me as apt and appropriate. They they are everything that we refer to in that definition of and what a high performance team is, right? Yeah. Everybody has individual skills you never see two superheroes with the same superpowers no what would be the point mm. right um and similarly you would have diverse perspectives because they've all got their own backstories and experiences um i don't know if any of you have been following my linkedin posts uh recently but i i posted this comment on a a funny comic picture which showed just how tragic it is when organizations don't focus on diversity and they focus instead on diversity of thought. And it was a comic <laughs> of, um, I don't, I don't want to seem like I'm 
be picking on them, but something like a half a dozen middle-aged white men around a table and the CEO was saying to someone, well, of course we're diverse. Mark, here's a vegetarian. Um, <laughs> that that doesn't cut it, right? Because that doesn't allow you to have that, that different backstory. Um, but if you do have the different backstories, it leads to greater um, creativity with problem solving and higher levels of innovation. You get better decision-making because high-performing teams can leverage their collective ex expertise and their diverse viewpoints to make well-informed and strategic decisions which result in better outcomes. It's also great for team morale. Being part of a team that's successful, that keeps going out there and doing the job well, can boost employee morale and job satisfaction as individuals feel valued and they're motivated to contribute their best efforts towards the team's success. Mm -hmm. You get increased employee retention. When people are happy, they're not really looking for other Please. jobs. Yeah. And even better, they tell people when your employees are happy because they're part of a high performing team, they'll tell their family and friends about your organization and you stand a better chance of recruiting your next superhero superstar. These teams also have a great shot at adapting to changing circumstances and challenges, which frankly, with the pace of change that we're facing in the economic, political, and technological environments we face today is paramount. Yeah. This enables them to remain resilient in the face of adversity. And I, I like to think that that also does not mean that the individuals in the team are not struggling with adversity or challenges and stuff. They are somebody would be struggling, but the team itself are able to surround that person. So what I what when we see this sometimes we get people saying, oh, you can't join a team if you can't manage stress. Like that's not actually true. But what we're saying is when one person is stressed, that the other can cover it up. When one person is weak, the other can cover it up. So this is not a mandate for people to now start excluding people who have never had anxiety before or never had depression or mental health issues before. It's not actually possible to do that. So just to make sure that when you're thinking of your high-performing team, each individual has the risk of struggling with mental health or anything that goes on in their life. But that's not what makes the high-performing team. It's how the others support them. It's the true testament of whether a team can adapt to change challenges and can be resilient in the face of it. I just wanted to make that point. Anybody who's a Marvel or DC fan knows that to be a very... Valid point, Opie. Yeah, thank you. Um, and also, high-performing teams can contribute to a positive and high-performance organizational culture overall. It improves your customer satisfaction, improves your organization's reputation. Frankly, there are so many benefits to focusing on building your team's performance that why wouldn't you? Why, why wouldn't, wouldn't you? you learn how you can upskill your leaders to be able to create these high-performing teams, to turn groups of people who are fairly good at what they do or excellent at what they do, but mm. not great at working together 
into a high-performing, coordinated, collaborative team of superstars. Indeed. I mean, I like to say that they're not perfect people, they're not perfect person, but they are perfect teams. And that is exactly what we've been describing. There's a benefit for it, but also the fact that they're coordinated. And that team has to understand each other. It doesn't happen overnight. So therefore, if you're thinking, oh, my team, you know, not quite performing. I know. I'd go and hire somebody new to to help, you know, a high performer in some other company to come in and, and it will all be fine and it will all be high performing. That's not how that works. I mean, nope. you could, but you don't have to. So it's about trying to understand that team. So how would you know? Because you might be thinking, listening to us now, and thinking, okay, I'm thinking, and, and I'm sure everybody got a team in their head now. So if you're HR, you're thinking the teams in the organization, maybe your team. Um, if you're a head of um, department, you're thinking about your people. So I want you to think about your team now. How do you know that you do indeed have a high-performing team? So here are some characteristics, some traits that we expect to see in high-performing teams. The first one is um, leadership participative leadership. So team leader is involved, engage all the team leaders by using a democratic leadership style. So in other words, it's not do as I say and that's it. I'm get they get buy-in from all the team members so that they contribute really. So it allows for a much stronger team. Now it might take longer to make decisions because you have to be democratic. Everybody had their say, everybody had time to think about things. Mm. but it is more effective than a leader who said, look at what is going to get done, so do it, okay? But that democratic versus autocratic, which yeah. is the, you know, do what I say, mm -hmm. um, it does require you to have trust in the people that you work For with, sure. yeah. um, to believe that they are capable and that they're responsible. If you don't have that basic trust, then you need to be doing something completely different in terms of the recruitment. You need to come and talk to us about <laughs> how you manage that. How you manage that. Yeah. But if you do, if you know your guys can do a good job yeah. when they're motivated, when they're properly rewarded, exactly. and there's all, all this stuff that we talk about in the productivity side of our work, right, about what motivates people and how they can be rewarded and and you can come and ask us um, for some advice on that if you want. But yeah, if you do trust them, then it is much better to empower them to do the work rather than dictate to them. Yeah. So what you want to look forward now, which I'm just going to repeat the point, to be able to know if your team are high performing, that leader engages all the team using this style. They're not just the boss to just take things. So the other thing, as a result of that, the team makes decisions using a mixture of stuff. They use rational thoughts, intuitive methods, depending on the nature of the decision. You can see how someone might say, I have got feeling about this, and that would still be just as valid as someone says, let's go and get the evidence to back it up. Those two are just as important. So we're not necessarily trying to go with just rational only, or for only those people who have that rational style of thinking are the people who make the decision, okay? Because that's one way to think about that. This is what we call diversity of thought. That's exactly what that is, the different mm. style in which they come to those decisions. They also work together in a shared understanding, effective communication channels and methods, so they can communicate well with each other. It doesn't mean there's no conflict. It just means eventually it, they can clear the air just as easily, 
open, clear communication. This teams also value diversity. They understand the value of having different people within the room. They understand that. They might find it frustrating because there's always that one person who takes ages to decide what they're going to do or someone who forgets that they were supposed to be talking about that thing in that meeting that day. But that's all part of what makes them special. That person who's taking days needs that time to think. <laughs> they need that time to reflect before giving their answers. And a high-performing team understands the importance of having people think differently and having different viewpoints. It's allowed them to trust each other. So a high-performing team trusts each other's method, their style, however frustrating it is, they trust that. So they can lean into that. Okay, so we talk, I'm going to use the Marvel thing again. Mm-hmm. Tony Stark always wound everybody up. That was always a fact. He was just as cocky. Everything about a, a team member that might frustrate the hell out of a team. If you're a manager in a team, you can almost see how you might think, Tony Stark, why are you you making my life hell? But actually, that is his process. And he provided the, the mutual respect, which is another thing I'd like about that from the team. They respect each other. They understand each other's method and they think, right, if you need a break from the Tony Stark, go and take your time out. You don't have to push him out of the room, but you go out. So that's what I wanted to say there. And based on that, a high-performing team will manage conflicts more effectively. Okay, so the idea that the absence of conflict is not true. It's not possible to do that. In fact, if there's no conflict, it means people aren't talking. I'll say that again. If there's no conflict in your team, people aren't talking. They're not telling you what they're dealing with. They're keeping things inside. Mm. So conflict is good. It tells you the people are open and are able to share and disagree. And they avoid grudges that they kind of harm your team morale. Yeah. And the caveat I'd say is healthy conflict. Yeah. I'm not talking about um, the kind of conflict that leads to people coming to blows or bullying. <laughs> no, no, not that. Just disagreements, Disagreement. tension. It's healthy. It's normal. Yeah. So here's another couple of things. High-performing teams will have clear goals. They know what they're working towards. Um, they've agreed it at some point that this is going to be the priority. They're not They're not confused about what they have to work on. Um, and if there's confusion, they will quickly clarify it with their leader um, and they'll come to a consensus, uh, right? They'll come to consensus. an consensus about it. So, relationship building, they bond. Well, now, they don't have to be best mates. They could be thin about high-performing teams when people misunderstand and think they have to go out for dinner together and play together and don't visit they? their homes. They don't have to do that. I like that stuff. Yeah, if you like it, that's okay. There's some people in your team who might like that, others don't. So allow them to not do that. So it's all about building relationship, but they don't necessarily have the relationship to build outside of work mm-hmm. situation, but they can be built in work. It can be lunchtime and breaks, those kind of things allow for it to happen, but you cannot insist that they, they you know, able to go down for dinner on a Saturday night and distribute their family. That's not how that works. So, the, the, yeah. That becomes more challenging to do when you're a remote-based team. Yeah, then you do true. have to coordinate it. But yeah. make sure you you do that. You invest the time and the money in bringing the team together yeah. so you could have this informal aspect of their relationship mm-hmm. at work. I suppose that's the point. A, a high-performing team knows what makes them perform better. 
So they're able to say, okay, it won't work for this person, it'll work for this person, mm. and let's find a, a, a middle ground for it or something that allows us to do things or have two events, you know, whatever. But the point is, they know what works for them because they have experienced it, they've had conversations about it, they've tried and errored, all kinds of things. So that's what makes them great. Now, the final thing I want to cut characteristics, I think, that comes from high-performing teams is when it comes to positivity and resilience. We're not talking about toxic positivity. We're talking about in the face of adversity, challenging times, cost of living crisis, Brexit, pandemic, all the things that we've talked about, personal stuff that's going on for them, divorce, bereavement, all the things that humans have to deal with that high-performing teams remain resilient and maintain a positive outlook because they can absorb somebody in the team or a couple of people in the team who are currently struggling and are able to do that successfully. Okay, They emerge stronger on the other side. And, of course, with breaks in between. This idea that resilience is this, keep going. <laughs> um, no, they have breaks. They take time off. They This high-performing team, in my opinion, do annually well. <laughs> They agree who's going on breaks and when and mm. how that stuff because they know they, they need it and it's required. Now, plenty of characteristics, plenty of them. I'm sure there are more. I'm sure you guys can come up with even more about how you might identify high-performing teams. But you're going to notice that to maintain any of these characteristics, even any one of them, that there has to be a good level of psychological safety in the team for it to work, right? You can see how that would be the case. A team cannot be resilient and have relationship and value diversity and have uh, participated leadership where everybody can share what their thoughts are if there's no psychological safety within them to do so, Mm. okay? I mean, so funny how it comes back to that in the end. So the more psychologically safe a team feels, the more effective and high-performing they're likely to be. Mm. Does that sound like a fact or not? The more safe I feel somewhere, the more I'm able to be myself, the more effective I can be because I'm not worried about making mistakes or looking silly Mm -hmm. or worried about um, um, sort of um, attacks from a boss who, you know, because he's going to help my career or something, if I feel safe to do that. So I just feel like that. So it removes fear, doubt, insecurity off the table for a bit it may not be off the table forever because that could then about psychological safety it, 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 it's a live thing you know somebody might slightly edit or break it or attempt to you know sort of murky it up or something mm-hmm. but it will your leader's job is to make sure it can maintain safe at all times right mm-hmm. so that's what i wanted to say about that so for all of that said high performing teams who still require some level of psychological safety for them to operate, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how do you build them? Like, when you come down to it now, like, okay, these are what type of performing team that the benefits to it, mention some, here's what it might look like. Then you can decide, okay, do we have the high performing teams right now or not? Could they do better? You know, that might be the thought process now. But how can you create and maintain psychological safety that allow the team to become even better at what they do, even more high-performing. So um, we're going to share, look at how we at Aurora help build them, look at how we build, help support organizations that we've worked with to improve the way their team operates, okay? So we're going to share some of them with you. 
One, utilizing personality tests. So we're talking about things like Myers-Briggs, DISC, Cliftonstein. There's so many personality profile tests out there. Um, and the reason why we use them, we particularly like the Myers-Briggs 16 personality I prefer. I like Cliftonstein as well. So it depends on what an organization prefers to use. So we have recommendations, but that's what we say. The purpose of it is to support team effectiveness by helping them understand each other. Okay, we talk about the fact that team can trust each other, but how can I trust you if I don't know what you stand for, know what you're about? Yes, it takes time to do that, but some of the great shortcuts is personality testing. Mm. You don't have to know someone for five years before you get them. You can know them inside of three months simply because you know their personality, you've had discussions with them about that, and they're able to confirm or deny aspect of them that is true or not. One of the reasons why I like it. Every time we've worked with a client using um, a simple personality test, so yeah. something like the 16 personalities, which is MBTIs or Myers-Briggs yeah. and Big Five together, yeah, and it's yeah. really good and it's free, so go and check it out. They have benefited greatly. They've all been surprised, not just by what they've learned about each other, but what they've learned about themselves. Mm. And therefore, that is why I react poorly when so-and-so yeah. does such and such. That's a really great um, learning, uh, not just who other people are, but who am I? Yeah. Um, and it really does help because we don't really think about this stuff in day-to-day. -day. We don't. No. We don't go around saying, mm, I wonder... What proportion of me is extrovert or what proportion of me prefers <laughs> intuitive decision-making? Mm. <laughs> no, think we don't that, think do about that stuff. You just be. And when someone asks you why you think it or how you think, you can't even answer it because you're not even sure yourself. You just know this is what I do. So it does help the individual understanding yourself um, as a leader, understand yourself, but also it helps you understand their team, understand each other, understand themselves, and allow that conversation to start. So I would say line managers have to take lead on this, you know, regularly discuss it with each other, do your own first, encourage your team to do it. When we do it, it can be a bit, we've had some team go, what am I doing now? I don't know why I'm doing that. What my manager going to do with it? <laughs> yeah. But actually, so that's where you know, okay, there's a small trust factor. Trust issue But okay, there. but it's wanting to know that someone is 80% introverted and therefore large meeting would deplete them, right? Large, long meeting to for you as the manager to decide, actually, I'm going to call for regular breaks to accommodate them. Okay, so you have to do something with the information that you have. Mm -hmm. You know, it's kind of, oh yeah, I know you're introverted, but you do nothing to help. So that's what I'm saying. Some profiles do better in a crisis. That's the beauty of how we are as people. Some profiles would do better in a crisis. Some help keep other people focused in a crisis. Others freak out and need calming. It's important to know who is who in your team, but they're all important. The person who freaks out, it's given an indication that this is a scary situation. We're not going to pretend it's not scary, okay? Because that's why that's the purpose of having the person who is freaking out their mind is calming, is that we cannot do work without thinking, actually, there are consequences to some of the things that we do. People are scared, people are anxious, and then, of course, the people who are people who are focused, it's like, okay, we know we're scared, but what are we going to do about that, right? So these are the kind of things. It's important to know who is who in a team that can support. That's what makes teams high-performing or stronger. Mm. But it all starts at the top, as most good things in life do. So you have to make sure that your line managers, and if that's you, 
you have to take responsibility for this for yourself, are skilled at leading. They need to be able to understand why, identify if they have a high-performing team, and determine how they're going to build one or sustain one, right? You've got to be a high-performing leader if you want to manage a high-performing team. So you need to know what your your strengths and weaknesses are and those of your team members and be prepared to support. You've got to be the kind of individual who is really self-aware, really competent, both intellectually and emotionally. It's not just about being good at the task or the job responsibilities, but also knowing that you should give us stuff about how people feel. Did you notice how I didn't swear there? Mm -hmm. I'm really proud of myself. Give us stuff about how your teammates are faring, picking up on the subtle cues, not just the verbal ones, and acting on it, knowing it's part of your job responsibility if you want to bring out the best in others. High-performing leaders have the unique ability to communicate that big picture strategy and vision at the same time as understanding all the little details that are required to execute it and being able to communicate those those, uh, details clearly and make other people feel responsible for bringing that big picture together. Another point here is one of the things that we would do is to help off-level team communication. So what does that mean? It's just important to help team members understand their their own preferred communication style and the other people's, okay? Um, and then to establish what best way for them to do it when it comes to, say, one-to-one, for example, compared to a team briefing, compared to a formal team meeting. So minute how are you going to how do they consume information do they read the minute after a meeting some people record the whole team meeting which is okay because people say oh why are we recording and whatever watched it someone or somebody does watch it because that's what they need to be able to refresh they might be been in the room but they need to hear it a second time that's okay if that's what they need so just trying to figure out within the room within the team how are you going to manage communication and again the other thing i'm going to say in team meetings you have people who doodle, and some people find it irritating because it feels like you're not listening. They are listening. So if people doodle, let them doodle. Just don't be that boss. That's what I'm going to say. So the other part is to do with regular feedback and appraisal. So the idea of giving feedback when something bad has happened or something challenging has happened, then it's almost like you just it's just random well not random but on the spot it's not planned not any of those so i think the idea of regular feedback and where would you give it in one-to-one if you have regular one-to-one that makes sense because otherwise if you don't have regular one-to-one then you're feedbacking on the fly oh yeah i meant to talk to you about something tom could you do you know we didn't like how that meeting went duh like why would you say it here so allow for one-to-one regularly i say monthly if you can, if you cannot, then um, every two months is what I would say. So you want to assess your team performance and identify areas for improvement and then implement that feedback loop in your one-to-one 
the fine strategy. That way they can say, hey, how am I doing? And they can understand how they're doing and whether or not the feedback was received or wasn't received well. You also want to be thinking about regular appraisals. So quarterly review in relation to the business goals. So three times if you can do it. If you can't do it quarterly, then, then three times a year. But once a year, we're not cutting. And I like to think that there are no, there are not many companies still trying that once a year appraisal. I like to live and dream that that's not the you case can, anymore. That is too old hope. now. Like it's like an old school thing. I don't know that it happens anymore. I think it does still Correct happen. Correct me if I'm wrong. Let me know. But please Annual don't appraisals do are still a thing. Then yeah. it doesn't work. Because how can you possibly, how can someone improve anything after they've gone a whole year without you saying anything, giving feedback, giving suggestions, trying to help the development? And this is the best way to lose people, in my opinion. Mm. Yeah. One thing we encourage um, in in the work that we do is, and this is why I love the big C, the big C word, the culture of the company, the culture of the department, of the team. You have to create a culture and foster and encourage a culture that allows for innovation and experimentation. And yes, mistakes. You have to get your team members comfortable taking the risk to propose new ideas, try implementing them, find out they don't work, but then they learn from that and try something else that will effectively address the challenges that you're facing. So we encourage idea-generating sessions where there's no stupid idea and there are lots of fun and creative ways of doing this. Um, and if you know what your team personality profiles are, because you've done the work with us before, then you know that some members of your team are really great, natural idea-generators and others are brilliant at refining those ideas into something that can actually work to solve complex problems. So yeah, create that culture that is um, open to risk, and then you'll have that culture that's open to innovation. Yeah, and another point is, being able to establish and maintain trust. We've talked about psychological safety. That's what it comes down to, really. How can you support your team to be open and honest about their strengths, their limitations? Um, and so behavior, one way to generate trust, generate trust between team members um, is to get them to talk about their strength and their limitations and how it affects them or doesn't affect them because allow you to go oh wow that thing that you're limitating is the thing I'm particularly good at but it doesn't mean I'm better than you or you're better than me because you're better at this other thing it just allows us to see each other so one mind lazy not a mind innovation so listen to your team don't dismiss or discount someone's experience it's the quickest way to to lose trust so when someone says this is what's happening for me believe them have conversations about that let's see your point of view try and step into have empathy to be able to go right if how can i see things in your in your world and because you know their personality profile you can almost see it you don't really need that much invitation except right this profile i can see why you see it that way and it's not the wrong way you saw it it's just not quite how i see it but at least i now know that we can we can confer from there right 
So that's what I wanted to say about the establishment of trust. Just psychologically say, they went, how do you do that? By knowing the people in it and knowing what they're about and what they like and what they don't like and what they struggle with. Now, not everybody will be emotionally able to share feelings and all the things. We don't need them to do that. But you need to know roughly what they're like. And they need to know. Actually, this profile is me to a T. So even if I can't explain it or share it with you on a random Friday afternoon, you can know a little bit more about how they would perform. Mm. Yeah. I can, I, it's just weird. I don't know if I really explained that very well, but it's my thoughts on the on maintaining trust. You have to know each other a bit. And this helps skip. It's almost like it's skipping the line. You don't have to queue for that long to figure it out. You can just skip the line and get a VIP section. <laughs> And then understand. Okay, yeah, we got everything quickly. Okay. And then um, the other way that we obviously, as uh, well-being consultants, support organisations to develop high-performing teams is by coaching them. Nope, it doesn't just happen because you you want it, you wish it, and you've got to will it. And part of that is by getting professionals such as ourselves or um, people who have a particular skill to to help you. So there are things that complement a high-performing team. Well-being, productivity, resilience, other relevant personal development programs that will help them to maximize their own strengths and skills. And no, you can't google it and figure it out yourself online um it's it's not going to be as effective so try and make sure that these are in person or at least virtual with some expert facilitation to help the teams to interact and share ideas self-study can be useful to complement but you really put some effort into making sure your team's know how much you value them through the coaching that you give so that they can be better, stronger individuals and contribute more to this high-performing team. We've given a lot in this episode. Yeah, It's it's longer than we normally have. Mm. So we'll do it's a quite, quick... It's quite important, isn't it? This whole idea of high-performing team in a, in a phase where people are losing their job and companies can't afford to keep certain talent. I mean, so it's very important about trying to leverage the people that you do have. So they're not, you know, mm. so that's why it's particularly important. I thought that's why. So let's do a roundup though, so everybody can remember what we said at the beginning. Mm. So we said a high performance team is, and let me use that analogy once again. If you want to be the Marvel of superheroes rather than the DC, you need to have a group of people who have specific roles, complementary talents and skills, who are all aligned and committed to a shared common purpose, who consistently show high levels of collaboration and innovation to produce superior results. Then you will get high-performing teams who will help your organization increase productivity, 
innovation, creativity, improve morale, employee satisfaction, increase employee retention, be more adaptable and resilient to challenge, and help you develop that strong organizational culture that we're all craving. And then finally, tips and strategies that you could use to help build your high-performing team. So utilizing personality testing like Myers-Briggs, DISC, clinical lifting, blends, or whatever floats your boat, that will help teams understand each other better. Upskilling your line managers because high-performing leaders know their strengths and their weaknesses. Upleveling team communication so that team members understand their own and other people's preferred communication style. Being able to um, have regular feedback and appraisal so you can assess your team performance and identify areas of improvement regularly. And then finally, offering relevant coaching and workshops that are managing well-being, productivity, resilience, any type of relevant personal development programs that will help your team maximize their own strengths and skills. So now, here's the rub. Or my American friends would say, here's the tea. Building and maintaining high-performing teams require ongoing effort and investment in leadership, talent development, and fostering a conducive organizational environment. So make sure you work with your senior leadership team to prioritize and secure relevant budget to help them make decisions, to help them come around to your way of thinking. We are available for help. So if you'd like to talk to us about our bespoke leadership programs for team leaders, if you need some guidance as to how you can develop the leadership capability within your organization and enable them to better understand themselves and their role as leaders to help them develop strong relationships and trusts with their direct reports, then do contact us. We are taking bookings for quarter four and quarter one next year. So have a look at the show notes. There's a link. You can schedule a call to talk to us in September. And we will discuss with you how your current teams are functioning and what you can do to make them high performing teams. All right, Rebels, signing out now. Speak to you next time. time. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Wellbeing Rebellion. If you liked what you just heard, please share it with your colleagues, follow us on LinkedIn, the link will be in the show notes, and generally show us some love. We want to build a whole army of fellow rebels who want to create positive workplaces for everyone. Will you join the rebellion? See you next time.